As I get started tonight, I'll meet you in the book of John in a moment. Um, it's, it's, what's your name? Daryl. We've met Darren. We've met before. You, you, were, you were with Pastor Jamie on Tuesday. You, your opening prayer tonight was such a confirmation of my spirit of what the Father had been working in me the last week for this word tonight. And you didn't know that, but you made a statement. And if you're like me, sometimes you pray, you don't even remember what you say. But you made a statement in your prayer that just sort of something kind of leaped in my spirit. When you said, we see through a glass darkly. We've seen darkly for too long, but we want to see clearly. Brother, that is my prayer. That is, I say amen to what you pray. I say amen to that to the Father. I want to see clearly what God has. Not only I think we've spent so much time talking about trying to find out what God has for us. So we go, what's God's will for my life? What's God want me to do? We spend more time seeking God's will and seeking what God wants than we do seeking God. And I think it's the most backward approach to, to the faith. And yet we're all guilty of it. I've done it so much of God. What do you want me to do today? What do you want me to say today? Who do you want me to encounter today? Where do you want me to go? What job do you want me to do? What car do you want me to buy? What person do you want me to talk to? And I think the father would just like, yeah, I'd just like to hang out with you, son. Yes. Just you and me talk for a little while. I don't want to do anything. It took me a long time to realize that God's okay if I don't do anything. That he and I just spend time together. You know, some of the most miraculous moments in the Gospels are when Jesus is just hanging out with his disciples. He's so relaxed that he can drift his boat into a storm and he falls asleep. The world around him panics, but he falls asleep. And, and I spent years preaching how to rebuke storms. <laughs> Hey man, there's a storm in your life. You need to wake up. Stop sleeping. Wake up and rebuke the storm. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me one day and said, Son, I want you to reread it. I didn't go into the storm looking to rebuke it. I went into the storm looking to sleep through it. Wow. I mean, the reality is, is Jesus was so comfortable with people. He relaxed around people to the point that he just nods off and goes to sleep. The storm rages and Jesus is fine with a raging storm. I'm not fine with a raging storm. He's so fine with it. He just relaxes and goes to sleep and they wake him up because this is what happens when you get involved in intimate relationship with the father. Sometimes you can even come across as un, unconcerned about the stuff going on around you. You can get so relaxed in your relationship with the Lord that you're not stressing out appropriately for a lot of people, even in the church. Did you watch the news today? Did you see what so-and-so did? Did you see what the politicians pulled? And you're like, no, I, 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 haven't, I haven't been feeding so much on it lately. I, I haven't been saying so much about that lately. Instead, been trying to improve the relationship, been trying to hear from the Father. And when you get to that point, there'll be these moments where the disciples will shake you. Because in that storm, the disciples shake Jesus and go, don't you care that we perish? And I always thought the funniest question in the Gospels is the disciples asking Jesus if he cares. Who dares ask Jesus if he cares? Does Jesus care? Are you kidding? Of course he cares. He's so relaxed. They don't even, re they, they don't even realize how much that he cares. That's what I want you to do for three sermons, all right? I just want you to relax. Sit back and enjoy seeing Jesus. Just encounter him. Enjoy his presence. I don't, I don't care if I leave and you remember my name or what our ministry is or what we do. It's another reason I don't do deep bios and deep dives into what we got going on. 
I just want you to leave and say, man, I've heard preaching in my life, but tonight I saw Jesus. That's what I want. We just want to put Jesus front and center. I say this a bit sarcastically, but I say it from a place of nearly 45 years of journeying through the church, and I mean it. <coughs> Jesus has become the hardest person to find in Christianity. Yes. We yes. can find personalities. We can find evangelists. We can find pastors. We can find ministers. We can find celebrities. We can find self-help. We can find gurus. We can find church growth seminars. We can find conferences. We can find Holy Ghost and fire, but we can't find Jesus. That's right. We want everything except an encounter with the Master. Yes. And one of the reasons why is because not much has changed in our hearts that we're in the heart of the Pharisees and the leaders in the days of Jesus because we come to Jesus with a preconceived idea about what Jesus looks like. And I want to show you over the next few days that sometimes our preconceived ideas of what Jesus looks like is like looking through a glass darkly. The reality is, is we need that cleared so that we can see him clearly. If I were to title tonight, it would be one simple theme and it'd be one simple question. I want to work off of this for a few minutes. I'm not going to hold you all night. It's Friday. I know it started later. You're probably tired. You've had a long week. I won't wear you out. We'll save something in your tank for the next night so you're not discouraged so you want to come back all right i i grew up in church i i would sit in pews and think lord i know we're gonna have one more night of this you know two more nights of this just tell him to wrap it up i used to get so excited when the preacher would say this is my final point and then about my third day of going to church i realized that that was a big lie because that just led into point my you know two points three points four points so i promise i won't do that to you if i say we're gonna land it we're gonna land it all right if I had one little theme tonight, it would be this. What does God look like? Yes. Now, if I was to hand out little three-by-five cards and night and ink pens and say, write down on this card what you think God looks like, we'd have various ideas. And probably we would have things that had to do with gender or holiness or the, the, maybe we'd even have Revelation 1 images of the white hair and the golden girdle and the eyes like fire and the feet like brass. And we would be biblical with our answers because we've all studied the Bible. And so we'd have God's a whirlwind, God's a storm, God's the lion of the tribe of Judah, God's a slain lamb. We'd have all these images, but a lot of it would just be theological terms. We would just have stuff that we spouted out. We might even have five, six, ten scriptures that we could back it up with but the reality is and a lot of us would even land here somewhere on that car and go well the bible says nobody knows what god looks like so i'm not going to answer this question you know we feel like that was a pretty holy answer as well so what does god look like well who knows what god looks like but i believe the bible actually very clearly tells us what god looks like yes and it's not that you've got to go digging deep and uncover this in the greek and that in the hebrew and you've got to go find different sources it's very simple to take the journey and find what God looks like. However, get ready to wrestle because this is the part that we've lost a little bit of in our journey. Particularly when we start getting introduced to grace and the finished work and we realize how much God loves us and the work's already been finished on our behalf. We go, all I got to do is rest in Jesus. And some of what happens in that is that we stop wrestling in Jesus and start resting in Jesus and wrestling actually holds a great benefit for the believer not wrestling to get saved or wrestling to get the anointing or wrestling to be favored wrestling to be blessed but wrestling with our ideas about god versus god's ideas about himself wrestling with the jesus we've heard of versus the jesus that we see in the scripture wrestling with what we've what we had an idea about what something meant and yet we find in Jesus maybe something different. So 
Not only do I want you to sit back and relax and enjoy hearing about Jesus, but I also want you to realize that in the middle of that relaxation, you're going to be challenged because you never meet Jesus where there isn't a challenge. All right. And I'm not just talking about the day you get saved. I mean, every moment you and him sit down together, it's not as if Jesus puts you on trial. He doesn't have to. You're innocent. There is no trial. The trial has happened in him at Calvary. You're a resurrected being. But he does want to minister to you what you need to take your eyes off of and what you need to put your eyes on. One of the more fascinating undertones of Scripture is the fact that from the Garden of Eden all the way through the Bible, we've got people either becoming blinded or people being able to see. And so in the Garden of Eden, you've got blind uh, Adam and Eve. They, they can't see their own nakedness. And then they sin at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in Genesis 3. The Bible says the scales fall off their eyes. And then they can see. And the next time you see that scales falling off the eye thing is when Saul of Tarsus encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he goes blind from the light. And he, he goes into the house of Ananias. And the scales fall off of his eyes and he can see. And I think that correlates perfectly with something Jesus said in the book of John when He said, I have come so that the blind might be made to see and that those who see might be made blind. Now, how many of you have heard sermons on Jesus making blind people see? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this one. How many of you heard sermons on Jesus making sighted people blind? Not very often. First reason we don't hear it is because there's no instance in the gospel where Jesus walks up to somebody and goes, blindness. And then they can't see. They're stricken with blindness. And so we don't see Jesus actually doing that in the physical. Plus, another reason we don't preach is because we don't really know what to do with it. I mean, how does Jesus make people blind? And yet, I think the reality is, is that we've got our eyes so finely tuned to the wrong place that when we have revelations of Jesus, He has to blind us to our bad visions of God, our bad understandings of the Father's love, our misconceptions about who God is. He has to blind us to what we were, like Saul being blinded to old Saul so that his eyes can be opened to new Paul. Kind of like those two people on the road to Emmaus on resurrection afternoon when Jesus, their eyes are closed and they don't know who they're talking to. And then Jesus drops the scales from their eyes and they can see. Let's see clearly tonight. Let's volunteer. This is a challenge. You don't have to accept this. This is your first lesson in wrestling. Let's volunteer that, Father, wherever my eyes need closed, you close them. Wherever my eyes need opened, you open them. I want to wrestle with this, Father, on the mat with you until I come away a little different than I went into it. Because I think tonight when we leave, if we've answered one question, it'll be, what's God look like? So I ask you, what does God look like? Go to John chapter 1. I want to read for you a few verses from the first chapter of the fourth gospel of the New Testament. I personally believe, and I got some pretty decent scholarly backing on this, uh, but I personally believe that John is the last book, uh, definitely the last of the four Gospels that were penned, and quite likely the last book penned in the New Testament canon. The image that we get of Jesus in the Gospel of John is often called the non-synoptic Gospel, meaning the non-similar Gospel to the other three, and it's because it contains the most unique picture of Jesus. What happens in the book of John 
every single one of the 21 chapters contains at least one moment that had never been heard before in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, making John this unique snapshot of Jesus. John also contains the deepest theology on his own as a writer. Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't have a lot of words in black. The words they have written in black are mostly geographic or biographical. Jesus moving place to place, the the, the town that he's in. But when you get to the book of John, you have large swaths of words written in black, which are commentary by the author, trying to comment on what it is that he is teaching and the Jesus that he knows. If you'll notice, and I don't know if you're looking at a digital or a hard copy, most of chapter 1 written in black, much of 2, much of 3. And this is because the early pages of the Gospel of John are John commentating near the end of the canon of the New Testament, honestly, at the end of the writing, he's commenting on on where the church of the first century lands on what their faith looks like. Remember, Christianity had came because a group of Jewish people thought they had found their Messiah in a man named Jesus and accepted Him as their Jewish Messiah. Half the book of Acts are Jews accepting Jesus, thinking they're the only ones in the world that get to accept Him. We don't have Gentiles even receiving Christ until... Maybe Acts 8, definitely Acts 10, and the church is still fighting about it in Acts 15. And, and saying, who gets, to be, who gets to receive Christ? And so, listen, it's nothing new that we're putting parameters on around who gets to really be saved, by the way. We've been doing that for 2,000 years. Even the early church was trying to figure out. And I, I'm amazed at how confident people talk about who Jesus gets to save and who he doesn't. That's amazing to me. I've been in, like I say, I've been in church my entire life and I've heard people so confidently talk about who's in, who's out, who's going to heaven, who's going to hell, who's saved, who's lost. I go, man, I thought God was the judge and Jesus was the way in. I'm going to let Jesus take care of all of those issues. I'm not going to try to determine who in this room knows him versus doesn't know him, who's really saved, who's really lost, who gets to go to heaven, who goes to hell. All I know is that I'm to be an emissary of the king. I'm here to disciple and to be a disciple. This hit me, this off off book, just a second. This hit me today, and and I was just kind of wrestling with this in my mind. John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Uh, that's something we'll probably get into before the weekend's over. But John the Baptist, I, it just struck me. It's like the, the father began to speak in my heart today. The role of John the Baptist is a role of discipleship because John the Baptist deflected the glory and said, there's one coming after me I want you to look at. And I think that that's my role and that's your role and that's your role and that's your role, and that's your role is to Point to the one beyond you. That's it. That's it. We got to quit looking for the next hero preacher and the next hero pastor. And oh man, did you hear that guy this week that they had in revival? I'm going to buy all his stuff, listen to him. He's the one that God's sending in this hour. Wrong. Jesus is the one God has sent for every hour. We are simply deflecting people back to Jesus. That's why I can't judge you. I can't judge you as a holy person, as a righteous person, as a spiritual person. Those are words we love to use in our vernacular. I'm real spiritual. I can't judge your spirituality. The only judgment I can make would be through the eyes of the flesh. That's right. And through the eyes of the flesh, I can't possibly see you in the realm of the Spirit. 
However, the eyes of the flesh can be a window to what's going on in the spirit. Although I see through your glass darkly, guaranteed. Who we don't see through darkly is Jesus. Because he has no agenda. There's nothing hidden. Christ doesn't keep stuff in the back room for the people closest to him. He brings his heart to the table, whether you're a woman with an issue of blood, caught in the act of adultery, a leper or a centurion Roman soldier. He still brings the best he has to offer. And here we are trying to parcel out anointing, blessing, and heaven on the people that said our prayer, got dunked our way, and wear our clothes. And Jesus comes in dispensing his Father to every single person that he comes into contact with. He doesn't seem to have an issue with people pulling from him. You don't see Jesus steering away from the crowd for fear that it'll take the edge off his anointing. You know, that he won't have enough when it comes time to preach and people asking too much of him. Who do we think we are? I've had the Holy Spirit say that to me before. Who do you think you are? You're not a dispensary of the goodness of God. You're not some slot machine of love. People put enough offering in, glory comes spouting out of you like they can get underneath the spout where the glory comes out and find. All you are here to do is deflect to Jesus. He's your Savior. He's your Redeemer. He's your Anointer. He's your Savior. He's the picture of God. In the beginning was the Word. Word was with God. Word was God. That word became the light and the life of men. John's just repeating Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the word. The word is with God. The word was God. God hovers over the darkness and the Holy Spirit pulls ground out of water. He hovers over the face of the deep. Word became flesh and tabernacles amongst us. And what's Jesus doing? Exact same creative work of his father. He's doing that work, pulling out whatever needs to be pulled out. That takes us to the text. John chapter 1. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt, by the way, is the same word that was used in the Old Testament for the word tabernacle. In the wilderness, when the children of Israel walked through the tabernacle, through the wilderness, and God told them to tabernacle, that's the word for tent. The word became flesh and tented, tabernacled amongst us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, Full of grace and truth. Look at that latter part of the 14th verse. When we saw Jesus, it was as if we were seeing the very glory of the Father. All Jesus knows is grace and truth. That's what I mean by He doesn't have a hidden agenda. John bore witness of Him. This is John the Baptist. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, For he was before me. Watch John deflect. And of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. I want you to take a look tonight that you have not received of Jesus' halfness. You have not received of Jesus' leftovers. You have received of Jesus' fullness. If you ever walk into a church and someone makes you feel as if you have missed out on some of the goodness or the fullness of God because you haven't paid that price. Yes. Just open your Bible to John chapter 1, verse 16, and quote that you have received of His fullness, grace for grace. You didn't receive of His partiality, you received of His fullness. So don't ever amen, I just give you some advice, don't ever again amen 
a word that makes you feel inadequate in the face of your father. Because when you amen something, you put your seal of approval on it. You know how much trash we've amened in the church? People get up and beat us like dogs and we'll go, Amen, brother! Like, we just put it on me. No, and here's, Jesus, here's John saying to you, we have received of, of Christ's fullness grace for grace. Grace Amen. upon grace upon grace, wherever you need it, that's what it's there for. Amen. And so that's what Christ has come to afford us. And then the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And that, I, that, that could take a whole weekend to unpack, but in reality, John makes a distinction. John the author makes a distinction between the performance of the law through Sinai coming at us through Moses and the Mosaic Code, but the grace and the truth of God coming through us through the person of Christ. John's doing something rather unprecedented that will be all, very Pauline, and it's hard to say who influenced who. Did Paul influence John? Did John influence Paul? Not important for this purpose, but... This is so Pauline to say something like Jesus Christ on par and greater than Moses. Because for a Jewish audience, there was nothing greater than Moses, the giver of the law. And here comes Jesus. And we've got a Moses connection we're going to need in a moment. But here's my verse tonight, verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. There it is. So if you had your little three by five card and when I asked you tonight, everybody write down what does God look like? And you wrote John 1 18, no one has seen God at any time. Um, you would be in the Bible, but it's not the end of the story. Because if you'll notice, there's something that comes after this. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. And the word declared is the word exegete. He has exegeted him. That's when we use as preachers, we go, the egg, what's the exegesis of this? The exegete is to take a scripture and say, here's what it's saying to you. Okay? Here's what it's saying to us. We exegete it. Same word that is used in the Greek to go, Jesus declared the Father. Jesus exegeted the Father. Jesus explained his Father. In other words, Jesus come along and with every word he said, with every person he loved, with every deed he performed, he was showing you what daddy looked like. The only begotten of the Father, He hath declared Him. Put those two together. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten of the Father has declared Him. Maybe it sounds like this. No one knows what God looked like. And then came Jesus. Yeah. Let's say it again. No one had seen God ever before. And then the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we have received of His fullness grace for grace. And He showed us what the Father looked like. Jesus wasn't showing us that the Father had changed. Jesus was showing us that maybe sometimes we had been wrong about the Father. That's what I want you to wrestle with tonight. That maybe once in a while, we got God wrong. Let me ask you tonight, is that possible? We're on the same page then, because I've realized I got God wrong a few times. I mean, I've had, I've had things and thought, boy, this is, this is God. Only to walk down the road to Damascus and have him blind me to that foolishness and open my eyes to something new, and I go, that wasn't God at all. Yeah. Man, I hammered away at that and thought that was God. Well, maybe I should have went back and tried to find and see if I could see Jesus do that. So here's, here's a little ABC. All right, this is a little groundwork for wrestling. And I'm throwing a lot of information at you in a real quick span. I realize that. But one of, the, one of the great ABCs of how to find God in the Bible. Look for Jesus. He's your template. He's that thing you lay in front of it. Watch Jesus. 
If you're reading and you can't find Jesus doing that in the Bible, lean towards Jesus, not your interpretation of God. Yes. So you're reading your Bible going, boy, I don't understand why God's doing this. Okay, that's okay. Because we don't have to understand everything about God. That's a human construct that tells us we can only follow what we can completely understand. That's foolishness. We don't completely understand our own spouse, and yet we get in bed with them every night. I mean, the reality is, is you ain't going to fully understand a whole lot of things you sell yourself to. Right. So it's not a matter i got to fully understand God. That's not it. That, we're not reading the Bible, but i got to really understand God. But if you want a template for where he's standing in the Word, go see if you can find it in Jesus. Why, why as Christians is Jesus what we consult after we've consulted our favorite preacher, after we've read Moses, after we went and watched a couple of documentaries on it, after we looked up a couple of commentaries? Well, to start with Jesus. How many of you know He's the author and the finisher of our faith? He's where it starts. He's where it ends. Anything in between is covered in Jesus. Whatever's not covered in Jesus needs kicked out. You are not disciples of the Bible. It's Friday night, so it's the first night. So, I mean, maybe that went too far already. I don't have to come back tomorrow night, but let me try it again. You are not a disciple of the Bible. I know it's tough to amen it. You don't even have to. Just, just stir it over. Because I already told you it's dangerous to amen the wrong stuff, right? So just don't even have to say anything. Just hear it. Let it soak. You are not a disciple of the Bible. You are not a disciple of the Apostle Paul. You are not a disciple of Moses. You are disciples of Christ. Yes. You came to Jesus, not to the Bible. That's right. You came to Jesus, not to the characters of the Bible. Yes. You came to Jesus, not to Pentecost. Yes. You came to Jesus, not the gifts. Right. I can go on all night. I've been doing this a while. I've seen us come to a lot of stuff in church. Yes. And it's hard to find Jesus when you come in through other stuff. That's right. You come in through other stuff, you come to church looking for that stuff. You'll even walk out and go, that was a dead service. Why? Because I didn't see my stuff. That's right. Didn't shout, didn't yell, didn't run, didn't fall down, didn't speak in tongues. Nobody did that. Nobody did this. So-and-so wore that. So-and-so said that. I didn't see that. That's not church, man. That's not the way I was raised. That's right. Jesus could have walked right down the aisle, and we just miss it because it wasn't our song. Yes. Come on. It didn't have the right backbeat, left-hand rhythm. You know, the bass wasn't thumping just right. Drums wasn't playing to go. The Holy Ghost wasn't there. Jesus is in the room. How do we feel? As, why are we so judgmental on the characters of the Gospels who miss Jesus in front of them? Yes. They miss Him all the time. We've been doing that every Sunday most of our Christian lives. Right. We miss Jesus. Because we're looking for everything else. Yes. Jesus gets to the end of His ministry. He goes, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My dad's house are many mansions. If we're not so, I would have told you. I'm going to go away prepare a place for you. If I go prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you to myself. That where I am there, you may be also. One of His disciples raises their hand and goes, that's well and good. Just show us the Father. And Jesus goes, how long do I need to be with you before you realize if you see me, you've seen the Father? Now, we'll cut them down. Go, why didn't they realize that? So let me ask you. When you think of God, do you think first of Jesus? We should. That's right. Because that's what God looks like. I didn't say it. Jesus did. Jesus said, how long? Let me ask you this question. I'll ask you the way Jesus asked them. How long would I need to hang around before you realized that if you see me, you've seen the Father? 
Why would they even ask that? Here's my proposition. They ask it because the Jesus they've seen for 13 chapters doesn't look like the God they were raised serving. Yes. So who's wrong? Your idea of God or the Jesus standing in front of us? This is why if we don't preach Jesus, sing Jesus, and teach Jesus, we'll have 15 golden calves in our church and call every one of them God. And I don't mean we'll have one actual golden calf. We'll just have a whole bunch of stuff that we call godly that Jesus isn't even a part of. And a lot of it will have 12 Scriptures with it. Yes, yes. Because it's easy to hang Bible off of different versions of God. The Old Testament's full of that. And then came Jesus. So that's going to be part of what we work on tomorrow night. All right, We're going to take God through the Gospels. We're going to find the God of the Old Testament really filtered through Jesus and take a look at Him. But in the remaining moments, I want to wrestle a little bit. All right, Because I think we need to deal with this reality. No man has seen God at any time. We need to deal with that reality. Because, here's why. All right? I think you've already, we've already built enough rapport. You guys are easy to preach to, by the way. You didn't lie. Easy house to preach to. You're just, you're just pulling. So, all right? So take this. You don't have to swallow it, but leave her hanging out there, all right? No man has seen God at any time, and yet the Old Testament disagrees. All right? Just, just, we'll just keep that out there. Here's what I mean by the Old Testament disagrees. In Genesis 32, Jacob goes into the wilderness and he falls asleep one night. And in the middle of the night, an angel shows up and starts the ultimate wrestling match with Jacob. The Bible says that he wrestles with the man. Some of your translations will put a capital M. There's a reason because we're, we're capitalizing the pronoun because, or the, because we realize we're dealing with God. And as he wrestles, the Bible says he wrestles all night until the breaking of the day. And in the morning, the angel says to him, let me go. And Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Right? Now, how many of you have heard sermons on that that have to do with stay on the altar, seek God, stay down there two two hours if you have to. You better wrestle God until until he gives you blessing. All right? Let me give you a little alternate idea. Jacob wrestles with God. The Bible says that God says to him, let me go. Jacob goes, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And God says, what is your name? And he says, my name is Jacob. Hebrew word, Yechav. Gets retranslated in the English to James in the New Testament. Jacob means heel catcher. He's a cheater. He's the kind of guy that will run up behind you when you're walking and kick your leg. And then you'll fall down. That's Jacob. You don't buy a used car from Jacob, right? He's, 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 he's rough. And God says to him, your name shall be Jacob no longer, but because you have wrestled with God and prevailed. Look at that. Because you wrestled with God and won. I'm going to call you Israel. Israel, he who contends with God. The God wrestler. The man who goes to the mat with God. And Jacob gets finished and builds an altar and says, I build an altar here today 
because I have seen God face to face. Genesis 32. I have seen God face to face. We remember that story? Old Testament, there was a guy who said he saw God face to face. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses has been up on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments and other portions of the law. God has has been frustrated with what's going on down at the bottom of the mountain. God's contemplating starting over with just Moses. (laughs) Moses comes to God and says, Lord, let me see your glory. And God says to Moses, in fact, go there, would you? Let 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 me show you this real quick. Exodus chapter 33. Just, I want to read this because I don't want to miss this. Verse 18, Moses said, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Look at Exodus 33, 20. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. Oh, here we go. Now, I want you to notice two things. Moses says, God, show me your glory. And God says, I'll make my goodness pass in front of you. What did God define the word glory as? When Moses said, show me your glory, what did God say he was going to show him? Thunder? Lightning? Vengeance? Goodness. Goodness. God had one word for it. Moses goes, show me your glory. God goes, I'm going to show you my goodness. Because when you ask for my glory, good's all you get. Yeah. That's good. Yes, sir. And we beheld his glory. John chapter 1. And we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. And no man has seen him at any time. But the begotten Son hath exegeted him, has shown us his glory. If God thought his glory was goodness, God's right, by the way. (laughs) If God thought his glory was goodness and Jesus is full of the glory of God, what's Jesus full of? The goodness of God. Jesus only knows the goodness of God. And in John 1, it told you no one knows what God looks like except Jesus Jesus showed you what God looked like. Jesus was full of God's glory, which means Jesus was full of God's goodness, which means if you could see God, all you'd see is good. Yes. Yes. He doesn't know anything but goodness. James said it this way. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father of lights. Not the Father of darkness. From the Father of lights. Wherever the light shines, it dispels darkness. It's God being good. Do you want to see God be good? Look at Jesus. Jesus is the image of God being good. Now, we still got to deal with this problem, though, in John 1. No man has seen God at any time. Exodus 33, God told Moses, no man sees my face and lives. So God takes Moses and he hides him in the cleft of a rock, right? By the the way, this is just fun to me, all right? You can do this what you want. This kind of stuff excites me. You know what the word cleft is? The word cleft is the word that means wound, It's an indention in the rock. It's like a cave. So God slides Moses into the cave. I like to imagine that when Jesus has the nails pierce his hands and his feet, that's a wound. That's the cleft of the rock that is Christ. When you see God's goodness, you're always going to see it in the wounds of Jesus. That's the place God walks past. You don't ever go look for God where you can't look first for Jesus. Because you won't find him. 
And so he slides Moses in the cleft of the rock. The Bible says he puts his hand over Moses' face and he walks past him and he lets him see the backside because Moses is only equipped to see the backside of God. It's all, he, it's all he can possibly stand because it's not just because of Moses. It's because it's all we can stand in the natural realm. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Let me ask you a follow-up question. My opening question tonight was, what does God look like? You know my answer. So let me ask you another question. Why does the word need to become flesh? You ever thought about that? The word became flesh. Why? The word had never been flesh before. Why does the word need to become flesh? A lot of times, if we took those same three by five cards and I had you flip them over and go answer this question, why does the word become flesh? Here, most people in this room would bring up the word sin. We are so predisposed to think about sin when we think about the word becoming flesh or Jesus or sacrifice. And I think that's tragic. I, I actually think it's tragic that the church can, can, we can get more excited about talking about sin than we can our Savior. I've been in a lot of churches. I've done a lot of revivals. If you want to get people shout, yell, and scream, get up and point out how much sin's in America. Yes, that's right. God, we love that. We get so excited when people get up and talk about how bad people are. That just does something inside of Christians. Yeah. We just, and it's, it's, it's selfish. Yeah. It's pride. Because we feel like we've got that one licked. And so, man, I can sit here and feel so good about this. Get them, preacher. Get them. Get all those people that aren't here tonight and doing that and running around and all that junk you're seeing on TV. Get them. Sick them. Why are we so excited about sin? Jesus, it's like we have this perpetual consciousness. We do, in fact, for, for, for some amazing reason. So why does the Word become flesh? So if you're in that opening salvo and you go, well, the Word became flesh because it needed to die for my sins. I got something better. Dying for your, something better than dying for our sins? Yeah. See, we've always said Jesus came to die for our sins. Jesus didn't say that. No, he didn't. There's not one time in the Gospels where Jesus goes, you guys know why I'm here? It's to die for your sins. No. No, never. Did Jesus die for our sins? Absolutely. He did a lot of stuff. He never said, I came to die for your sins. He did say, I come to do my Father's will. I come to bring to you the kingdom. I come to show you what the kingdom looks like. That's the whole Sermon on the Mount. I want to show you what the kingdom looks like. Here's how we function inside of the kingdom. But the great contribution of the Word becoming flesh is so that we could finally, finally see what God looked like. You see, it had... Let me slow down and say it this way. God had to become us so that in our natural eyes we could see what God looks like as us. Because outside of this body... The best we could do is hide in the rock. God put his hand over our face, walk past, show us his goodness. He, we need more than that. Yes. God doesn't want to be the God that walks away. Yes. God wants to be the God that walks up. This is, there's a hint to this in John 1. I know I'm giving you a lot of info. There's a hint to this in John 1. You remember when Jesus meets Nathaniel and Nathaniel goes, Oh, you are the one. And Jesus goes, you think I'm the one just because I spotted you sitting under a tree and called you Nathaniel? He goes, greater things than these shall you see. He said, the heavens shall open and angels shall ascend and descend upon the Son of Man. Remember that? Yes. You know why that's so amazing? Because the only time in the Bible where the heavens opened and angels went up and down on a ladder was with Jacob in the wilderness. And Jacob woke up the next day and said, surely this is the house of the Lord. Angels were going up and down that ladder, and God was standing at the top. If angels are ascending and descending upon Jesus, where's Jesus standing? 
on earth. Jesus was telling you, when the word became flesh, God came down the ladder. I'm standing right here. Yeah. He goes, the days of you climbing the ladder to go see God are over with. God has come down the ladder to come see you. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. Jesus is the goodness that walked down the ladder and said, Nathaniel, you've seen nothing yet. I'm going to show you the, the Father ascending and descent up and down and up and down that ladder upon me. You're going to watch this happen up and down upon the Son of Man. And that's why the Word became flesh so that with our eyes we could watch another man do it. We could watch another man show us what God looked like. And if that be the case, whatever you see Jesus do, that's what God would do. Yes. Whatever you hear Jesus say, that's what God would say. Yes. How you see Jesus act, that's how God would act. That's, right. that's, how Jesus, that's how God would act in front of the poor and the marginalized and the outcast and the other. That's Jesus. Don't go grab seven other illustrations. Go grab Jesus. I don't know why we're trying to hang 15 other alternate thoughts to try to define God when the Bible told us that God looks like Jesus. And so I give you this thesis, this theme, this idea, not just for tonight, but for the whole weekend. This is what I'm trying to build whatever ministry God has for me in the future on. Jesus is what God always looked like. Jesus is what God looks like. Jesus is what God always will look like. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If Jesus is the image of God, then God is the same yesterday and today and forever. So if you're in the Old Testament reading about God and you can't find it in Jesus, go back to Jesus. Yes. Jesus is the template for what you're looking for. And, in, and this, is why, this is why the little Jesus' message doesn't work. You know, you're a little God because Christ is in you, the hope of glory, so you're just a little version of God. It doesn't work. And you know why? Because you're not the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're not the same today you were yesterday. You're not going to be the same tomorrow that you are today. Jesus doesn't change near as fast as we do. We can't make it through the same day in the same shirt. He... <laughs> He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We change hairstyles seasonally. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm not cutting us down for changing. Change is good. Aren't you glad you're not what you were 10 years ago? Oh, yeah. Man, good grief. Let's never brag about not changing our mind. That is the, I, that's, one of the, that's one of the brags people have that I don't think they realize how in opposition to the Holy Spirit it is. I go, oh, brother so-and-so is coming. That guy's the same. I heard him 50 years ago. He ain't changed a lick. And I think, man, does brother so-and-so know how much you're insulting his ability to hear the Holy Spirit? Because the Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewing is changing your mind. That's repentance. If the Holy Spirit's job is to transform you, and the only way it can happen is if you change your mind, what happens if you never change your mind? Holy Spirit's short on luck, ain't He? 
This is why we've devolved into having to feel everything yes. with yes. the Holy Ghost. Yes. Because we don't want to let the Holy Spirit do His natural job, which is to convince us that we need to wrestle out old images of God and insert new ones that look like Jesus. And because we don't listen to the Holy Spirit trying to do that in us, we devolve down into the natural. Because if we're not going to see Him spiritually tonight in church, at least I ought to get my jollies. Yeah, yeah. So let's deal with the final thought. Yes, we're landing the plane. All right. No man has ever seen God and lived. Here was one more thing in the Jacob story I didn't tell you. I saved it for the end. God says to Jacob, your name shall no longer be Jacob. You shall be named Israel, he who contends with God. And as the sun came up, the angel snapped Jacob's thigh, popped his hip out of socket. And the Bible says that as the sun came up, Jacob dragged his leg and limped every day for the rest of his life. And here's why. Because no man can see God and be the same person when the sun comes up that they were when the sun went down. No man sees God and walks away with the same name they came into it with. No man sees God and doesn't leave with a limp that defines him forever. No man sees God in the face of Jesus and gets to think about God the way they did before they met Jesus. No man meets Jesus and keeps his old name. No man meets Jesus and keeps his old walk. Something changes in the way you move. I don't mean physically. I mean in the way you govern yourself, in the way your thought process happens, in the way you... And you know what your role is in this? Grab hold of your image of God and slam it on the mat tonight and wrestle with it. Oh, that's not the way it ought to... That's not how we ought to treat God. That's the only way you ought to treat God. God was so excited that someone wrestled with Him, He changed their name to Israel and blessed the whole nation. He had finally found a man that would bring his ideas to the mat and go at it with God. And they'd get to the end of the day and God would go, new name, new limp. Things are going to change for you now. No man gets to see my face and be who he was. When I wrap myself in human flesh and become a man, they're going to name him Jesus. And when they do, no man gets to meet him and have the same name. No man gets to see him and live because... The man that encounters Jesus will walk away a brand new man. Jesus turns to His disciples in John 6 and says, Will you leave also? And Peter goes, To whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I'm not the same guy I used to be. I don't know what to do anymore. I met you. My life's ruined. I can't go back to the way I was. I can't start treating people the way I used to treat them. I can't judge them the way I used to judge them. I can't look down on them the way I used to look down on them. I can't step on people the way I used to step on them. I met Jesus and my limp is back and my name is changed and I'm not what I used to be and I'm not what I'm going to be, but I'm going to go to the mat again tonight with God because I got some more ideas that I don't think look like Jesus and I'm ready for them to die too. And every time I walk into the house of God with other believers, I'm done looking for men. I'm done waiting on my song. I'm done seeing what will give me my jollies. Show me Jesus. If I see Jesus, I'll have a revelation and I'll get rid of the old image of God because it won't work anymore. That's the revival the church needs, man. We need to see Jesus again. If we could just see Jesus. That's it. Take whatever you got tonight. 
We've spent so much time fleecing people for money, fleecing people for properties and possessions and time, commitments. Forget it. What you brought in the door is an idea about God. Sometimes he's a little bit cold. Sometimes he's a little bit distant. Sometimes he's a little bit mad. Sometimes he's a little bit racist. Sometimes he's a little bit classist. Sometimes he's a little bit sexist. Ooh, is this, is this too much? This, oh, come on. See, that's what we do with God. Yeah, you're good. We fashion a God that looks like the God that makes us feel the best about ourselves. We borrowed that from Aaron, by the way, in the wilderness. Bring me your gold. Threw it in the fire. Fashions a golden calf. Most of us stop reading right there. Because Aaron says to Moses, I just fashioned this golden cow. The very next verse says, Aaron turned to the crowd and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast day to Jehovah. You know what? Why is that significant? Aaron didn't think he was creating a new God. He thought he was building what God looked like. Yes. He was ready to throw a party to the God that brought them out of Egypt. Yeah. What is the problem is not that we're making strange gods. The problem is that we're making God strange. We're fashioning what we think is God and then we're putting American flags on it and guns on it and race cards on it and denominations on it and spiritualism on it and Bible translations on it and dress on it and haircuts on it and makeup on it and drums on it and guitars on it and songbooks on it. and we, We've laid everything we can up there on the altar and called it God. And Jesus is standing somewhere in the shadows with his nail-scarred hands going, how much longer do I need to be with you before you realize if you see me, you've seen the Father. If I offend you, it's because you need to wrestle that part of you that doesn't look like God. Do you hear that? I didn't, I, that ain't me. I'm trying to say that through the lips of Jesus. If when you see Jesus, what you see of Jesus offends you, get back to the mat and get ready to limp. Because the encounter is going to come out looking like Jesus. You're not a disciple of anybody but Jesus. That was a long landing of the plane, wasn't it? You've been precious tonight. You made talking about Jesus, which is my favorite task in the world, fly by and be very, very fun. I enjoyed every minute of it. I don't know why we got to be, I don't know why we always feel the need to be hyper spiritual and we can't just be real. Like, I know I'm supposed to go into a trance and then walk around and prophesy over everybody. It's how we've kind of treated church for a long time. And the reality is we all stand around and we're so wore out and longing for a word that we leave and all we think about is the word somebody said over us. I want you to leave and think about Jesus might just be what God looks like. Right? Father, I thank you. You... Father, have done a work tonight I can't do in a thousand years. You have brought the spotlight onto Jesus, and I've seen it in the eyes of my friends and my brothers and my sisters. I've watched the infatuation increase. I watched scales fall off of eyes. I watched some blindness begin to happen to old ways of thinking. And Father, the beauty of it is 
what we get to walk out tonight thinking about is that's the Jesus I'm looking for. And Father, wherever we've seen glimpses of him, go to work on us. May it spout up in Jesus' name. Amen.